Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Rob Baston and welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings podcast. I am here as always with the... Uh, Venerable Murray McCormick. A um, couple of things to, well, more than a couple of things to talk about. There's always an infinite number of things that can be discussed when we're talking about the Rough Riders, but they're coming off last Friday's 23-16 victory in Vancouver and looking ahead to Sunday's Labor Day Classic against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So we'll look back a little, look forward a lot, I think, as we uh, uh, launch another podcast. Mur. Looking ahead to Winnipeg, toughest challenge of the season for this team, and they get that three out of the next four games. What's your, what's your take on what's coming up? Well, I kind of, you know, we're not looking back as much as we can, but remember this time this week it was all doom and gloom. It was like, how were they ever going to even stay competitive with Winnipeg? What was going to happen? And they go out and win a game, and boom, everything's kind of, um, you know, sunny in Saskatchewan, which it literally is. But I still think Winnipeg's arguably the best team in the league. I, I think I don't see many holes. They don't, they aren't blowing teams away. They're winning games, but good teams win games. They should win. And the blue bombers have been doing that other than that one loss. And I think uh, captain obvious checking in here. The riders are going to have to play as well as they did against the lions and another step up to keep going to get to get to, to beat the blue bombers. And I know they can be had. And I know the labor day magic and I know all the other things that come into play, but, Man, you just you try to think of a, a reason why the Riders should beat the Blue Bombers, and it's hard to come up with one other than, you know, they've gained a little bit of momentum. But boy, Rob, you know, and it's gonna we're gonna get a, a big, big sampling of them for the next three or four games, and uh, I just don't see a um, a happy thing. And another thing can happen is the Bombers can clinch a playoff spot with a win on uh, sun on Sunday in the Labor Day Classic. So they the Bombers have something more to play for, like. I don't know how long you've been around, but playoff spot clinched by Labor Day? Have you ever remember seeing that very often? Maybe last year, but I don't remember. Last year was a weird season, but boy, I don't remember very often a team being able to clinch his playoff spot by Labor Day. Uh, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. By Labor Day last year, I knew that the Broncos <laughs> were going to miss the playoffs. Yeah. So uh, things can be uh, pretty much nailed <laughs> down by, by this juncture uh, in different circles. But the it strikes me that the Rough Riders, they've got, they had a margin for error against BC. And they, I think they've had one for the, for the vast majority of the season to date, because by and large, the teams that they've played have been, have had deficiencies. The, def, the exceptions being the first two games against BC when Nathan Rourke was there for well, most of the time, the margin of error is gone against Winnipeg. Uh, if they allow seven sacks, if the offensive line continues to be as porous as it has been this season and was on Friday in BC, the Rough Riders have no chance. They got, they got away with it on Friday because BC didn't have a quarterback. Now you're playing a bomber team that uh, will make you pay. So they've 
there's no such thing as a perfect football game, but the Rough Riders have got to play their best football game of the year, bar none, to prevent this from being a a, a Winnipeg victory and one of probably three that the Bombers will have at the Rough Riders' expense, unless the Rough Riders can play a much cleaner game than they did on Friday. Clean in terms of keep your quarterback uh, as, as uh, untouched as possible. 44 sacks and basically a half of a season allowed by the Rough Riders. That's a crazy number when you look at that, and it's well on pace to hit them over, hit the 80 mark by the end of the season. Well, not quite it, 80, but uh, yeah. 11, 44 sacks after 11 games. That's four a game. That would put them at 72. 72. Well, I'm giving them a couple. I'm, giving, I'm expecting the Bombers to get a couple extra. But ones maybe the Bombers to get 15 this week. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and it's funny because – you, you would think the offensive line might show some improvement, but then they took huge steps back. Like, I think Andrew Lauderdale is a pretty serviceable tackle. I really think he can be. Jamal Campbell is the word is out. And I, I wonder if some of those sacks were maybe should have been tackles for losses more than sacks too. Well, like one, I, of them was a, one of them was a run pass option where Cody yeah. rolls to the left and got, got hit. So that wasn't by design a passing play, but because the quarterback is, is tackled behind the line of scrimmage, they, exactly. they called it a sack. Uh, so that would be six sacks against instead of seven. But uh, they, there are there are times when when Cody is a little um, uncomfortable in the pocket and and yeah. and may uh, may kind of almost try to almost navigate himself into trouble as as opposed to trusting the protection. And uh, Craig Dickinson's mentioned that a few times. Now, in Cody's defense, what reason is there to trust that protection? So. Yeah. Uh, I think if you play up behind that offensive line long enough, you're going to be a little little jittery. I think that's just human nature. Um, hey, Rob. I but he, he sure overcame oh. that. They, kind of mind you, they gave up seven sacks and still won. And still, they still won. won. <laughs> and I, they still won. <laughs> and kind but, of nicely. Uh, you know, it was a nice yeah. win. Oh, it was, I mean, it was, it was a tonic in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, it's just the cautionary note that has to be sounded looking ahead to, to playing Winnipeg with Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat, Adam Big Hill. Uh, they're going to eat you alive if there's continued yeah. porousness along the, the offensive line. And that's just the reality that the Rough Riders face. I contacted Steve Daniel, the CFL's amazing statistician. I asked him, how often is a team won historically when they've allowed seven or more sacks in a game? And the answer he gave me was uh, just over 20% of the time, which actually was surprisingly high. I thought it might be 10 but there are instances, uh, this dates back to 1977 when they started logging sacks as a stat. But uh, there's Candy's tail. But uh, the uh, it's about 20% of the time. And you, every now and then you can get away with one. The, the 2007 West Final in BC, Cameron Wake, I think, had five sacks by himself against the Rough Riders. They had they uh, allowed at least as many sacks as they did last this past Friday. And then they won the West Final. I think 26-17. So you can do it at times. But can you do it against Winnipeg? Not a chance. Could Frankie Hicks Unless somehow the Riders yeah. can sack Zach Calero seven or eight times and it's a saw-off. Right. That's not going to happen, I don't think. You know, and it's funny. You look at the numbers on Winnipeg's sack totals. They're not a sack. A sack they're not as, as eye-boggling as as, uh, as the Riders. You know, the Riders had like 44 sacks and Winnipeg's got like 20, or 34 sacks. Winnipeg has 22. So they're they're not getting to the quarter. They're still getting to the quarterback. They're, they don't have the numbers like the Riders seem to do in their sacks and their pressure on the quarterback. But we do know what Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat can do, and they can come on any dime. And 
you know, they could get eight sacks between them easily on, on Sunday in the Labor Day Classic. Especially when you look at the Rafferty's weakness along that offensive line is their tackles. Yeah, yeah their tackles. Uh, that are... just seemed, would seem to be tailor-made for, for Winnipeg, unless the Rough Riders can just scheme their way out of it, can bring in some extra protection, or there's an upgrade in, perfor- upgrade in performance. But this is a team that, in 2019, Cody Fajardo's breakout year, over the course of that season, the Riders allowed 37 sacks over 18 games. Barely, you know, just two point what two a game yeah and now they're allowing four a game and uh and yet people kind of wonder why cody Fajardo's performance has changed look at the change in performance in front of him mm-hmm. it's yes. not really a lot more complex than that do you think frankie hickson can do it again do you think he can come up with over he had a great game what i, I as i said in that i thought he was a bit of a slasher he has power he he i was watching the game over again i loved how he actually kind of sought out contact with guys you know and you want him to win the opening we know that but it's nice to see a guy with that confidence and that power to run into other players and to do those things and what what a game for him and uh you know can he do that against the blue bombers i don't know i i kind of think the lions were still and i'm looking back on this we're still reeling from the the rourke injury I, i really think there's a bit of a leftover from that and then who believe first off the Riders would face Canadians quarterbacks in back-to-back games, and then hurt Canadian quarterbacks in back-to-back games? Just a a weird sort of situation with uh, Michael O'Connor getting hurt. Not quite sure when they're not. They're talking a leg injury, and I know we all watched that sack by Darnell Sankey on uh, on Michael O'Connor when he picked him up, and kind of. I know it's people are saying that that wasn't in roughing the roughing the passer call. He planted him into the ground, and the CFL will not allow you doesn't allow that you to do that anymore. You can't pick up the guy and drill him in the ground. Now, having said that, I don't know what Sankey does differently to avoid doing that. That's the part. Like he just tackled him. He just was a football play. At, boom at some point, it's, it's physics. How do you interrupt yeah. your momentum in midair? Exactly. So, um, but, that he, was a cheesy call. But if you look at it, though, the Rough Riders got away with one, or they got a really cheesy call on the illegal contact late in the game on Carmen Moore. That... If you're really stretching the interpretation of the rule, yeah, that's a penalty. But that was a really cheesy call. So anybody who's lamenting that call against the Rough Riders should also look at that game and say the Rough Riders got a drive-sustaining penalty uh, against or benefited from a drive-sustaining penalty against BC. And uh, that's that's as ticky-tack a call as, uh, as you're ever going to see. I, I kind of thought the Riders had a chance at maybe catching the Lions a little bit at that win and progressing ahead. But we heard this morning that... Uh... They've got a quarterback, not Canadian, but it's Vernon Adams. They traded for their first round pick. I'm assuming, I think it's 2023 to get Vernon Adams over there as a quarterback. So now we've all seen it. Vernon, Vernon Adams seems to have this mystique about him that he can do things and keeps keep getting them. I think this is, this might be his fourth team, Montreal, whatever, a lot of teams. And so I think the Lions needed to get a quarterback. They needed something because I don't, I don't know O'Connor's status and, and General Pipkin's, Okay, but I don't know if he's a starting material. Well, I mean, well he's as journeyman as journeyman is yeah. going to be. And so, so what the Lions had to guard against is 2014 Rough Riders syndrome. The Lions are now 8-2. and two. You were in yeah. Winnipeg one day in 2014 <laughs> when the Rough Riders beat Winnipeg 30-24 to to improve to 8-2, but it was, a, it was the costliest yes. defeats or costliest of victories in that Darian Durant was hurt. And the Riders were 8-2 and two at the time. And they ended up chugging, you know, just sputtering through the rest of the regular season. And then came the playoff game at Edmonton where they, uh, Kerry Joseph was intercepted five times at age 41. In the first so, half. <laughs> uh, and so 
There was one, I think there was one pick in the second half. Okay. And then he was out. But uh, there was also a touchdown pass to Corey Williams. Riders lost 18 to 10 in Edmonton. But the, the, um, that's the, the thing that they've got to be cognizant of is you don't want to be in a situation like the Rough Riders were in 2014. And they've, they've done a pretty good job of that. If one wonders what would have happened in 2014 had the Rough Riders had, say, Kevin Glenn as their number two quarterback. They went and got Kevin Glenn the following year because they wanted to guard against that situation. So the Lions have been aggressive in ensuring that they've got uh, a reputable passer. And uh, that is interesting because had that not happened, I really wondered if the Lions were just destined for a tumble that if the Rough Riders could capitalize on that with some timely victories, maybe, maybe a home playoff game wouldn't be entirely out of the question because Calgary is still pretty close to the Rough Riders. But now I think that uh, that was a really savvy move by the BC Lions. A first round pick. And I know I'm not saying anything about the draft, but that's almost like free. Like you're, you're waiting. What's it for another Canadian offensive lineman? It seems to be the, the first round picks to be wherever the Lions would likely end up picking. Would have been a pink side. I think it's, it is a very savvy deal, and it's interesting. It comes uh, after Rough Riders could have used could use a few Canadian offensive yeah, linemen true, right true. now. It's interesting. It comes a couple days after the Alouettes and Gary Stern announcing he's stepping aside as the uh, not stepping aside, but yeah, just stepping aside. I guess is the word as the uh, it's his day to day operations of the team and his twenty five percent ownership, and he's going to let the estate of the other owner uh, of the of his other partner kind of operate things. And Sid Spiegel. Sid Spiegel. Yeah, and it's. Boy, should we be worried? Like I seem to remember a little while ago, I was in Halifax, and they're talking about ten teams in the CFL and expansion. And now, huh? They need another owner for another team in a market that's struggles. And maybe this ten-team dream is a little bit too soon, Randy Ambrosi. Maybe you're going to have to focus on no. what are they going to do with unless how much the estate's going to run things. So obviously, there's is it a coincidence this happens a couple of days after Gary leaves? Cause I knew, I think he was a pretty staunch supporter of uh, Vernon Adams. At least I seem to remember reading that on Twitter. So is this a sign of what's ahead for the Alouettes? I'm not quite well, sure. The, you would think that the, the estate or the people responsible entrusted with the estate are going to look at it and think, Hmm, well this, this enterprise is a money loser and they're going to have to unload it. You would think. And then the question becomes, who's uh, who's next in line? Is there's is there still some promise there? Is there still a, a way to you know sell it to local interests? Because there was an Eric Lapointe group that was very interested last time, and for whatever reason, the CFL wasn't as interested in that group as that group appeared to be in the CFL. Or is that scorched earth now? Because there had to be some bad feelings over the way that whole thing went down. Um, so you got that. You've got last week there was a game in Toronto and, and it was so well attended. They didn't even list the attendance in the stat sheet. Yeah. <laughs> and so they could have, that's, that's an area of concern. Uh, you look at the crowd in Edmonton last week. Yee. So um, and remember in 19, the team, the CFL operated the Alouettes and it was about $600,000 per team to keep the Alouettes afloat. A little different situation in 2022 with COVID and a shortened season. I don't, the teams have 600 grand that they can just sort of, throw at the Alouettes to keep them going. So I think there has to be a, a lot, a good sense of urgency to find some sort of ownership or what would get a commitment from the estate on what, what their plans are for this team. And, you know, it's always, 
we were we were kind of you know we're things were looking up for the CFL. The games have been exciting. I don't think we can argue about that. There's you don't turn off the TV or watch something else because you never know you can turn it back on and it'll be you know a 17 point lead and it's tied. So the uh, the product on the field I think has been pretty good. And you know it was when I was in BC I've got to give them credit like they were getting blown out, not blown up, but the score the game was well in hand and the fans were still having fun. They were playing all sorts of games on the big screen and. It, it, I really have to admit, in my experience of going to BC, I always felt like I was the youngest person there. Just look out over the press box and be full of gray hair. It's kind of like a mosaic stadium. But there was a younger crowd, uh, more seemed to be more females, a little bit more females. I, I don't have any figures on that. So maybe the, maybe the Lions the lines are making a comeback, a great tailgate party. I was there for back-to-back nights. There was a football tailgate party, and then for the soccer team the next night, which was pretty cool to see the different sort of partying. So... The Lions are making a comeback. We're talking about good things. The Elks have got their issues. But now I think Chris Jones will get that sorted out sooner than later, we hope. So, but it just seems this uh, this Alouette seems to cast a bit of a pall over the league heading into arguably the biggest weekend, one of the biggest weekends of There's, the year. This is a CFL. There's always going to be something. Yeah. There's no easy ride for the Canadian Football League. And uh, I guess you could look at it glass half full and say they've come through COVID without losing any teams. And uh, without without a hey, complete catastrophe, you, so there's that. But uh, <laughs> um, and maybe the Rough Riders have come through the worst of it too. They'd lost four out of five, and the one victory over those five games had been in Edmonton, where the Eskimo uh, Elks oh. did everything everything possible to donate that victory to Saskatchewan. Yeah. And uh, and if you look back to July eighth, the Rough Riders won that game, and that was tainted by the whole Garrett Marino mess. So there hadn't been a lot to celebrate with the Rough Riders, even when they'd won. There was a Garrett Marino game. There was the victory over Edmonton where the Elks were just uh, just a mess yeah. in terms of discipline. So the Rough Riders needed an out-and-out victory. And, uh, yeah, you can look at that game last week and say, well, um, BC didn't have its starting quarterback, and that starting quarterback happened to be the best player in the league. But was anybody feeling sorry for the Rough Riders on July 24th when they got hit by COVID? And there was or, there was already an accumulation of injuries, yeah. and uh, and Jake Dolagala, the third string quarterback, was was starting, and the, there was a makeshift receiving core, et cetera, et cetera, and the Argonauts came to Saskatchewan and won thirty one twenty one, so maybe things just even out. Um, yeah, BC was in an adverse situation, but look look what the Rough Riders faced on July tw- July twenty fourth against Toronto. So uh, nobody seems to mention that when they cite um, that uh, the Rough Riders. We're playing a team without a starting quarterback. And nobody seems to mention, they'll say, you know, you look at Cody Fajardo and what he did a week after being pulled after throwing for just 41 yards against BC. He had two throws that exceeded 41 yards uh, or two passing gains that exceeded 41 yards this past Friday. 321 yards, 38 yards along the ground and completes a big second and seven past the Kyron Moore to salt away the game. What he did a week after being pulled was terrific. And I don't think he's getting nearly enough credit for that. Yeah, I agree. I think imagine me defending Cody Fajardo, but here we go again. And there's other reasons for optimism. Like Braden Lanius is back a big sign. I think that's a big signing, Rob. I think when you look at the potential of their receiving, can he play, can he play left or right tackle? Well, he's tall (laughs) enough. That's where the money should be spent. (laughs) He's regarded. He's still back. You know, you look at the receiving core now, Possibly when we're looking down the road, maybe even for the Liberty, they've got Lenius, you've got Keith, 
Keon Schaefer, Baker, Duke Williams could return. Shaq Evans, I don't, I don't think, I don't. He says he wants to be back by Labor Day. We'll see what happens. And Kyran Moore, that's a pretty. Well, he was pretty emphatic on Twitter that he would be back. Yeah, so, so that's a that's a pretty impressive receiving core with the Canadians like Emulus and uh, McInnes. Emulus. Emulus. Picton and the others, the other ones backing up. McGinnis backing up. I don't know McGinnis' status. McGinnis' status is going to be. But there be. And he was coming off a six-catch, 111-yard yeah, so, game. You know, we're, we're, we're on the offensive line, and rightfully so. But I, I think there's, you know, the, the way that Hickson played and the way that the possibility and the potential of this receiving core, you know, coming back to what we kind of anticipated the, the roster being at the beginning of the season with. And we kind of thought Lenius would be back because he'd been released soon enough. But he's. You know, uh, Craig Dickinson mentioned the other day that, you know, they, they're worried about what kind of football shape he's in. And then I was watching in the huddle on access last night and Marshall Hamilton says, if you're a professional football player and you've just been cut from an NFL team and you're not in shape, well, shame on you. It's nothing to do with the team. Braden Linnaeus knew he had opportunities coming here. So I, I don't I don't think Braden would be out of shape. I think he's going to be. He may not be CFL shape, which is different, bigger body in the NFL, bigger, you know, more of a less running was going for a tight end. So there's not as much receiving. They may have to adjust to the waggle again and things like that. But I, I'm, you know, I kind of thought I'm kind of excited to watch these receivers, which is, uh, which would be yeah. kind of fun. If, so. if there's time to get the ball to them. Yeah. I, I'm okay. really, <laughs> I'm really interested in, in what they do with Kian Schaefer Baker. Uh, his first game as a, as, as an inside receiver in the CFL and he played inside receiver in college. Uh, five catches for 170 yards. I, I'm just intrigued by what, what uh, Kean Schaefer Baker could do as an inside receiver if if they were to to leave him there, uh, but I don't think they can put. That... I don't know what they can do with him. I don't know who they move outside, but I will bet when the ball is snapped, Keon Schaefer Baker is going to be closer to the quarterback than you think than being out with that wide side wide receiver. They're going to Jason Moss is going to have offenses that get him kind of like when Rob Bag was here. Rick Rob Bag started as a wide receiver wide side receiver with the wider hash marks. But a lot of times he would start end up starting the play being quite close to the quarterback by, by moving around in the backfield. So I wonder if we're going to see more of that. I wouldn't be, I, I would think that's the way to get Keon Schaefer Baker to utilize all these guys. I, I get the sense Rob from you that you're, it's almost a negative if Keon Schaefer Baker doesn't go to the slot back. And I, I think Jason Moss might be able to take advantage of that, as I said, and move him closer to, with with setups and when so when the ball is snapped he's closer there so I, well, I think that I'm game not had to be a real that game had to be a real indicator that you've got to take advantage fuller advantage of Ken Schaefer Baker exactly take I advantage so. of the waggle take advantage of the size that he gives you inside the CFL's elite receivers are by and large slot backs and Ken Schaefer Baker is emerging yeah. as one of those uh, the potential there is amazing I look at uh, again I'm going to go way back here but Joey Walters was a good Wide receiver, a very good wide receiver. They moved him into slot, moved him to slot back late in the 1980 season. In 80 and 81 and 82, is the best receiver in the league, and uh, you can do so much more with a receiver, an elite receiver, as a slot back than as a I as a wideout. I will always wonder, as as tremendous as Matt Dominguez was as a rough rider, what have he played inside? Yeah. When they when they signed. Matt Dominguez, remember Danny Barrett saying that he thought they had another Alan Pitts. And then they put Matt Dominguez out wide. And he was still very productive. But why didn't they play him inside like they played Alan Pitts inside? Uh, Riders laid in. Uh, Matt Dominguez played one game in Calgary. as an, Somebody that repeated knee injuries 
in 2008 and a hobbled Matt Dominguez, I think at a hundred receiving yards in the first half before getting hurt mm-hmm. and uh, playing inside. And I will always wonder what could Matt Dominguez have done if he'd been inside all the time or most of the time. And uh, not a direct parallel there, but Key and Schaefer Baker, but I really wonder what they've got here. If they put him in situations where uh, it's just more practical to, to get him the ball and there's just more advantage that can be taken of his skills that were, I think we've only scratched the surface as far as they've only scratched the surface as far as letting people see what he can do. I meant to look this up, but he's amazing with yards after the catch. I wouldn't be surprised if he's leading the CFL in that, that category. He just, and you saw it in BC like with that long pass at long time, he just scoots and he caught the one off the tip ball, but he gets those yards after the catch. And I remember him telling me that his coaches said, that's what you got to do. Catch the ball and get yards, which sounds pretty basic, but it is. You know, look, some guys just get yards and they get they drop. They don't get a whole lot more. So, I, I I'm impressed with that. And he's he's also a really personable young guy. He's kind of having fun with it. It's kind of nice to see a a guy enjoying that. And he's you know he's always upbeat and chatty after games and practice and stuff. So it's he's a guy. I think the fans the fans know about, but I think they can start embracing him a little bit more. And then hopefully a game in the Labor Day Classic. And it's such a fan oriented event with what's going on, on Saturday and then the game and everything that. Maybe they can get to meet with that. You know, he's a pretty special young player. And, you know, with the free agency and what, how long he's going to be around here is a question mark a little bit. But, boy, he's going to be fun to There'll watch. There will be a premium to be paid for him. And I'm not sure the NFL won't be interested. Yeah. Well, I thought Braden There's Linnaeus There's so would, much athleticism there. I thought Braden Linnaeus would have that kind of attraction too, but you never know. What, but he's not as dynamic a player as, as yeah. Ken Shaver Baker. What about Ken the Shaver defense, Baker's Rob? Just got, what about the defense? Uh, they're they going to have one. to exert more pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, they only had one sack last week. I think they're going to need to put more pressure on Zach Kalaros. And um, but overall, that's a that, that was a pretty sound defensive showing. Yeah. Um, they uh, they had some Jeremy Clark and Amari Henderson had some key knockdowns. Um, the linebacking core continued to be the linebacking core, which is to say very good. Uh, defensive line was a disappointment in that they didn't create the kind of havoc you would think that they would but create that's a great uh, playing against line. a team. That's a great offensive line on BC. Better than the one that almost led to Mike Riley, Michael Riley being killed. They've been proved. Yeah, yeah. And they've, and they've, some... uh, they've shown patience with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Rough Riders stock in trade is their, def- is their defense. And one of the things that they've done very well this season is rush the passer. And that's something they didn't do very well in uh in bc they had opportunities for some sacks they didn't quite finish off the off the uh plays one thing i'm wondering what did they change like why on offense why was that offense so much better than it was a week ago why was cody so much better what did they what did they adjust oh he's more mobile is he more mobile a more mobile he trusted his run he trusted his legs he took off he did the run pass options i think that was the whole thing this was the cody we saw some fajardian spinoramas and I just think that was the big thing is Cody trusted his legs and he felt better. And that kind of set everything up to everything and he could plant his leg. I, I just, I think it was his mobility. I think everything, I know he had. But is, is there going to be that much recovery in a week though? Like they must've done something schematically to allow that to happen Cody too. Got, Cause it was Cody like moved, watching two different players. Cody bought himself time when he needed to and seven sacks aside when over he bought time when he needed to get moving around and maybe, maybe this knee is getting better. That's you know something. That's the only thing I can think of. This knee is improving, as he said it would. He still got to wear the brace, but still got to do things. And maybe 
you know, maybe he needed that kick in the butt to be benched. Maybe that was something that said Cody took himself home. He mentioned that confidence comment, and he said that was his confidence was kind of bruised because he got pulled. You know, we we kind of know what he's like, and we're not going to get in a big argument about that, but I think his confidence was really bruised. And I think maybe he went home and examined himself and said, I have to get back to playing the way I played, and Jason Moss had to get back to doing getting Cody the plays that he can run. And I, I really think it's mobility, Rob. I know you you have other other theories or things like that, but I just think that it was a, a return of Cody of old. It, it, it seems like he was – sometimes it, if you hit rock bottom, maybe it can, it, it can be a pretty sobering thing. And that was certainly rock bottom for Cody as as the Rough Riders starting quarterback, save for one pass that hit the crossbar against Winnipeg in the 2019 West Final. But in terms of an overall performance, that was clearly his worst as a Rough Rider. And, and uh, it was a it was a – in a situation like that, you either succumb to it or you get better. And uh, and the way he responded was admirable. And yet, um, yet I hear the post game shows and people are oh. still complaining about Cody Fajar. I don't know what people expect from this young man. I really don't. I just, I think it's just it's gotten so beyond silly here with the way the quarterback is being dissected. I, Cody's performance on Friday should have been met with nothing but applause and admiration. And yet, you still hear it. And, uh, oh, that pass to Kyron Moore was a little high. If that pass was accurate, he would have scored, blah, 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 blah. He scored, he threw for 321 yards against a, against a, one of the league's better defenses behind a terrible offensive line. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and how is he not one of the performers of the week after that? I, I just don't get, I don't get things anymore. I was golfing with some guys I've seen. One of them was quite critical of Cody. And it's interesting to hear, and I'm going like, and he goes, you know, they got to look at something different, all this kind of stuff. It's going to like, where do they go? Like, Cody's their guy. He really is. I think people have to understand that. And you've been quite adamant about that, too. And so is Craig. Cody is their guy this season. So, you know, you're going to have to be critical. Yeah, critical. But also take a look back and credit the things he did and what he did in that game. Now, if he does it in back-to-back games and one of those against the Lions or the, the Bombers, wow, that's going to really kind of change the attitude because – Looking at the Banjo Bowl, they traditionally have their issues going to the Banjo Bowl. And I, I should be more than more well prepared on that, but that's next week's game. I only go one week at a time for this guy, you know, one game at a time, one practice at a time. And uh but boy The Banjo teams, Bowl is traditionally ugly. It's at least ugly, in recent yeah. years. I, yeah, I don't I don't remember <laughs> much of the second half of them, other than it's a great party and stuff. But what do Rob, I'm gonna throw this at you. What does Labor Day mean to you? Like, let's just have a little, we have a minute here too. Just what is, what is the Labor Day class? And I know it's the Labor Day weekend classic, but man, we got to save words when we can. But what does the Labor Day classic mean to you? Here's what it means to me. I'm getting on a plane on Sunday morning at 6, 10 a.m. in Kelowna to get back in time for the game. That was the only flight I could get to get back. My godson, Eric Anderson, is getting married on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. to Lauren Martell. And uh, so I'm don't going have to the wedding. I leave, uh, I leave Friday. And uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't want to miss the game. Uh, I've been to every Labor Day weekend game since 1975 when the Riders beat Winnipeg 27-23. Tom Campana had 326 all-purpose yards. The Riders scored the game-winning touchdown. Ron Lancaster to Steve Bezurek late in the fourth quarter in the north end zone. They won 27-23. And so I haven't, I haven't missed a Labor Day. Last time I missed a Labor Day weekend game was 1974. And so I don't want to miss that game. So 
there was one way to get there, uh, and that was to get on a flight at 6, 10 a.m. on cool. Sunday. Kelowna to Vancouver uh, and then Vancouver to Kelowna, here? Re- Kelowna, Calgary, Regina. So uh, um, that's – any other flight gets me into town later in the afternoon. So uh, I, I'm going to be a mess on that flight. Thankfully, the pilot will have had some sleep and we'll get home in time for the game. I just, there's, there's nothing like it. Even in the bad years, there's something to extract from a, a Labor Day Classic. In 1999, the Riders won three games all year. Their third victory of the season was against Winnipeg on, on Labor Day weekend. And then they lost their next nine. <laughs> so uh, uh, even in, in, in when they've had bad teams, they've had great Labor Day games. 1983, the Ken Clark game. Uh, the Rocky Butler game 20 years ago on Thursday. This Thursday of this week, it'd be 20 years since the Rocky Butler game, 33, 19 victory over, over Winnipeg on, uh, in 2002. So, uh, even predating that the 1976 game against BC, which was a, was a classic Lancaster to Dawson for 18 yards for the winning touchdown with just under two minutes left. Uh, and you, the Ray Elgard, Joe Pow Pow game in 1986, 56 yard touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter. I mean, they're just, you know, pill country 2019, John Ryan and Brett Lothar, uh, the Kerry Joseph quarterback draw. There's, 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 there's a book to be written just about the Labor Day game mm-hmm. and uh, Labor Day weekend game. And uh, I don't know if I have another book in me, but I'd love to do that one. They're just, uh, that's a big part of my childhood that's turned into a big part of my adulthood. And uh, that's why I'm, blearily getting on a plane six hours after the wedding reception ends. <laughs> so, I, I'm more, of that's an, a long dissertation, but yeah, uh, I'm more yeah, of an, I got to get my money's worth for that flight. I'm more of an atmosphere sort of feeling emotional type. I remember sitting on Hammerhead Hill with my daughters watching games at old Taylor field and the noise and the stuff and just how cool it was. I'm, I'm as, as a beat writer and as a reporter going to, the game going, you know, sometimes we used to cover the pregame stuff and just seeing the fans there, reminding myself of how much the CFL means to people and how sometimes how fortunate we are to have our jobs that allow us to go to these events, to send our words out there, to let people know what the, we get to do. And just, I just love the atmosphere. I love, I, I remember at Old Taylor Fuel and all the party people would be over that house over to the right hand side of the drive of the uh, front of Mosaic Stadium, all the bomber fans yeah. partying there. I don't know if that happens now. I haven't gone there, but I just that kind of, and the bomber fan and, and then watching the people party and celebrate and how families get together and stuff. It's just a, it is a celebration of football. And, I, and I've been to, I, I've been to Labor Day in Hamilton. It's, it's a long time ago, but it's not the same. There's something about the Labor Day. And there's that old cliche football season starts after Labor Day, which I totally disagree with. But I think the, the, the love and the, the atmosphere and the passion for the CFL does kick up another notch after Labor Day because with something more to write about, we're writing about more than features and stuff. And I, as I said, I'm, I'm an atmosphere guy. I know you can remember all these games. I'll never forget Kerry Joseph's draw. I'll never forget John, uh, John uh, Brett Lather jumping in the pill country and all these other things. And who's the guy who broke his leg? I'm trying to remember the guy, uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber. That's a long time ago, but. That stands out in my mind. But just the Labor Day Classic is a uh, a big weekend and uh, one we're going to enjoy. And I, I admire you for your flying thing. I came back. You, you can't make any plans flying these days because you never know what's going to happen on your way when you've got uh, I'm not going flights. through Toronto, so I have some optimism. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be able to get back 
uh, in time for the game. But I, I don't know what kind of condition I'll be in. So you're gonna have to carry. You're gonna have to carry most of the load on Sunday because I'm gonna be sitting a row behind you in seat 33 of the press box. Uh, well, you can sleep on the probably, plane. Probably though. asking Mitchell Blair to get me a cookie. Yeah, but it's it's tough because it's a one hour flight, then a three hour yeah. layover in Calgary, oh, yeah. and then a one hour flight. So my worry is that I'm gonna conk out in the Calgary airport and end up watching it in the well, lounge. I can <laughs> so. offer you advice on a man who's taken many early morning flights. I've caught 8 a.m. out of Edmonton. Which means you're getting up at three thirty-four because Edmonton, Leduc, the airport's nearly in Leduc. You need a flight to get to the Edmonton airport to to get to wherever you're going. If you're going to sleep, sleep in a chair near your gate, so you don't have to just do that. I try to do that so I can. There's action and wakes you up. So there's a, a little bit of advice from a seasoned traveler who knows something about well, trying to grab. Some I'll make sure seas. I wake up because I can't bear to be away from my dog for longer than a week and a half. So but I, I think mean, we, a day and a half. I think we hit just about all our topics, Rob. I just, no, I think we... Uh... Yeah. So I've got to read our, the outro. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> this is my big moment. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody says wherever you get your podcasts. So here we go. If you'd like us, if you'd like to send us a question, you can email me at rvanstone at postmedia.com and we'll read it on the show, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me <laughs> on Twitter at Rob Vanstone or Murray at Murray LP, wherever you get your Twitter. Exactly. So that's our show uh, for this week. We'll be back uh, next week discussing Rough Riders versus Winnipeg and looking ahead to Rough Riders versus Winnipeg. For Murray McCormick, um, I'm Rob Vanstone, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Murray will carry the show because I'll still be recovering from the flight. Take care and have a have a great week. Bye, Candy. Yeah. We didn't see much of you today. Bye. Her, her tail made it. Yeah. <laughs> have a great day. Bye.